Come on up. Thank you, Shane. All right. Bring that chair because I want to sit down and talk with you guys about something real quick. But I also have to grab wow. a makeshift table. Okay. How many of you guys are artists? You are? Do you do you do what kind of art do you do? Okay. You like to draw? You paint? Like walls? No, you paint actually like on art pieces? Oh cool. How many else do art? Anybody? You do art at school? Watercolors? What do you do? Um, I paint you, you paint sometimes? And you draw. What do you do? So you like to paint too? Oh wow, so you would like with a pencil or with a pen sometimes? Okay, so whatever you can have to make a mark and then you draw dog faces and how cool. I like to draw, but I am not good at drawing. I I try to draw, but they don't turn out very cool. But what I do like, this is so cool. I like it when an artist draws a picture for me and then all I have to do is color it and make it pretty. Because that way, I can say I did some art, but I don't have to feel bad because my art doesn't always look that great. Yes, Lily. Um, uh, what about we draw pictures and we basically draw too? You do? Well, I think this picture here, I want this guy to have a blue uh, jacket. So I'm going to give him a blue jacket. And then I want him to have a brown, or maybe this is, no, that's purple. I don't want purple. A brown staff? A brown, no, a brown beard. Because I don't have a brown beard anymore, so I want him to have a brown beard. <laughs> And then, oh, the stick also has to be brown. And then, and then, let's see, I'm going to give him a, a, a orange hat. So, see, I did a beautiful job. I made this guy look like a beautiful orange hat and blue coat and brown beard. Not very good, is it? Why isn't it any good? Because I didn't take my time. And when you take your time, what are you doing? But you're actually supposed to stay inside the lines, right? So if I were to do that again, I'm not going to take a lot of time because I don't have time to sit and spend a lot of time. But if I did more time doing the colors inside the lines, then when I'm done, I'll have a prettier picture and it will look more like what the artist who designed the picture wanted it to look like. So see, doesn't that look a lot better? Yes, yes. 
straight. No, you like this one better? Yeah, well, some people do, but that's okay. But this is how the artist, when he originally designed this picture, this is what he wanted it to look like. And he gave me the power to choose the colors, but I still needed to stay inside the lines to make it look like what the original desire of the artist was. Well, you know what? This is kind of like the way God works with us. Because God gave us rules of how he wants us to live. That's like asking us to stay inside the lines. And he said, you can color however you want, but I need you to stay inside the lines. What are some of the rules do you think that God has asked us to follow? The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. Oh, you've read it on the top of my seat. No? You're absolutely right. Do you know what the Ten Commandments are? You know some of them. Well, let me open it up to the book of Exodus, chapter 5. Excuse me, chapter 19. What am I talking Exodus chapter 19. Hold on. 24, 23, 20. There it is. Okay. Chapter 20 is where they're at. Go ahead, tell me one of them. Do not covet, okay? What's another one? Do not steal. Do not kill or murder. Do not murder. Do not kidnap. That's not one of the Ten Commandments. That's probably a good commandment to follow. Do not sin. That's also a good one. Well, let me let me tell you the ones that I remember, and I'll see if I can do it without looking at the book. There's only one God, and we need to honor Him and Him alone. We are never to make an image of Him. We're never supposed to do pictures or statues or anything of God and worship them. Okay. Now, it's not that we can't draw a picture to say this is what I think Jesus might look like, but we should never worship that picture. We should never worship that statue. Number three, we should never, ever take God's name in vain. We should never say God's name go, oh God, that's not good. We should always, God said, we should always take a day of rest every week, one day just for rest. We should honor our father and our mother. We should not murder. We should not steal. We should not, oh, what's the next one? Murder, steal. Oh, we should not be with another person's spouse. We should not kiss them or be, be in, intimate with them in any way, shape, or form. That's between them. They, you never do that with anybody else. Then we should not bear false witness, which means don't lie. And then finally, we should not covet. Covet means I want to have what you have. Those are the Ten Commandments that God gave us. But you know what? When Jesus was asked what was the greatest commandment, he said, actually, you can take the first four. There's only one God, no graven images. Don't take God's name in vain and always honor the Sabbath to rest every day. Those four, those honor God. And the other ones, don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't bear false witness, and don't covet. Those are against all of the other people on the earth. So God said, Jesus said, if you want to love God, you do these four. And if you want to love people, you do these five. And then missing one. What did I miss? I don't remember. Anyways. But the, oh, honor your mother and father. So it's six over here. But that's how God wants us to live. It's like coloring in the lines. If you follow the rules to the things God asks you to do, you'll have a beautiful, beautiful life. If you don't follow the rules, it might be colorful, 
but your life will be messy and there'll be problems. But if you follow the, the rules that God set for us, we will have a beautiful, beautiful life. Now, I'm going to go get some crayons and some coloring sheets, and you guys can take them home and take time to color. But let me pray with you real quick. Jesus, I ask that you bless these kids. And I ask that you would help them to understand, yes, it's easier and faster to just color however we want. But if we take the time to follow the rules and do it the way you want us to do, our lives will be so much better and so much more blessed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me get to the crayons and the papers, and then you can go to your class. Yes, sir? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Okay, come on up, ladies and germs. Yeah. You're not a germ. There's a coloring sheet and a box of crayons. And then you guys can go to your class, okay? You want to get some a coloring sheet and some crayons? And here's another coloring sheet. Those are what? There you go. I know they're crazy, our friend. And he's Lillian. And is Adrian sick? Yeah. Okay, here, you can have this take home for Adrian. But you have to explain to him what it's all about. And there you go, Mr. Shane. Alright. Thank you, guys. You can go back to your class now, okay? Or you can go back and sit with your folks, whichever works for you. For the rest of us who are stuck here with Pastor Bob, <laughs> open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 21. What a yucky passage of scripture. As I was, before we read it, as I was preparing for this, one of the things I learned was that chapter 21, 22, 23, and 24 were all kind of Cut and pasted when the people who were doing the work of putting this book of history together, they scholars believe that these got that the person who did this actually was looking at various sources and then had to try and blend them together as best as they could. That's why it's kind of choppy. So in verse 20, chapter 21, we're going to see David visiting the priests at Nob, and then in chapter 22, we see the priests at Nob getting. Uh, damaged by the king, and we're not going to take time this morning to jump around. We're just going to follow it as it's written, verses chapter 21. Next week we'll do 22 and so on. So let's look at 21. Before we read it, though, let's recap. King, I mean, King Saul is having a bad day. David is in the throne room. King Saul picks up a spear and throws it at David, trying to kill him. David escapes, runs home. His wife, Michael, says, the king is trying to kill you. You can't stay here. There are people outside waiting to take you to the throne so that you can be killed. And so she hides, uh, she puts a statue in David's bed with some goat hair. And David escapes down a rope 
or maybe a thing of sheets tied together out a window and takes off. And David goes to the village called Ramah, where prophet Samuel lives. And in Ramah, there is a school of prophets, and David joins the school of prophets. And then King Saul finds out that that's where David is, so and then he sends people to go get David, and God overcomes those people. And then Saul sends more people, and God overcomes those people. And then David, God, Saul sends more people, and God overcomes those people. And finally, Saul himself comes to the school of prophets to kill David, and God overcomes Saul. And then in the next chapter, which is what we looked at last week, John, David sneaks back into the area where Jonathan is, his best friend, and he meets with him privately, and he says, your dad is trying to kill me. And Jonathan's like, no, he's not. And then they do the little arrow thingy, and David finally realizes he's got to get out of Dodge because his life is in danger, and he doesn't know who he can trust. The only person he knows he can trust is Jonathan. Everyone else is a potential enemy. Everyone else, he doesn't know if they are on King Saul's side or not. And so he has to leave. The problem is, when did he leave his house? How did he leave his house? In the middle of the night, he climbed out the window, climbing down some knotted sheets or a rope or something. He didn't bring a suitcase. He didn't bring provisions. He didn't bring his armor or his weaponry. All of that would have been helpful, but he doesn't have any of it. And now he leaves Jonathan after the little arrow incident with the little boy and the arrows and then goes beyond them. And then David and Jonathan say goodbye. And then David shows up at this place called Nob, chapter 21. David came to Nob, and he met with Ahimelech, the priest. And Ahimelech came to meet David, trembling, and said to him, Why are you here alone, and there's no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech, the priest, uh, The king has charged me with a matter, and said to me, Let no one know Anything about the matter of which I am sending you, and with which I have charged you, I have made an appointment with young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me some loaves of bread, or whatever's here. And the priest answered David, well, I don't have any regular bread. I only have the holy bread, the stuff that we put out for God. But we've just replaced that, so I, I, I guess I could give you the holy bread that we just took off the table, but this has actually been set aside for priests, so um, have your guys consecrated themselves? Have they stayed away from sleeping with women in the days before this event? Because culturally, that's what would have happened. Had they been preparing for war, they would have abstained from sexual relations with their women, and they would have consecrated themselves, asking God to bless them in their, as part of their preparation for the war that they might be going to. David answers the priest, verse 5. Truly, women have been kept from us as, all, as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy, even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no other bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day that it's taken away. Now, a certain man of the servants of Saul was also there that day. He had been, been detained by, before the Lord. 
His name was Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. Now, scholars say this phrase, chief of Saul's herdsmen, makes it sound like he was the chief shepherd. But what they really think this means is he was kind of like the chief of the, of the castle guard. He was the chief of Saul's bodyguard, if you will. Okay? And for whatever reason, he is in Nob, and he's been detained there by, before the Lord. So he was there worshiping or discern, trying to divine something from God, asking the priest to pray, for, pray over him and, and give him a word from the Lord. We don't know what this was, but he's there, and it happens that he's there at the same time that David's there, and he sees all of this going on. So verse 8, David then says to Ahimelech, um, do you have a spear or a sword? Um, because I like, I didn't bring anything. Because, uh, because the king's business was really fast and I, I needed haste. And the priest said, well, uh, the only sword I've got is the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you struck down. Um, it's wrapped up in a cloth here behind our worship stuff. If you want to take it, that's fine. And David said, uh, there's none like it. Give it to me. So David rises and flees from that day from Saul, and he then goes to Achish, which is uh, uh, to Achish, the king of Gath. The king of Gath is one of Gath is one of the Philistine cities. Okay, so he literally goes to their enemy, and he goes to Achish, the king. And the servants of Achish say to them, "Is not this David, the king of the land?" Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down the thousands, and David is tens of thousands. And David heard these words, took them to heart, and was much afraid of Achish the king of Gad. So David changed his behavior before these people, pretending to be insane in their hands, making marks on the doors of the gate, and letting his spit run down his beard. So he's literally going, <laughs> like he's crazy. And they, then the king says to his servants, look at this guy, he's crazy. Why did you bring him to me? Do I lack crazy people? You have to bring somebody from out of our country? Get him out of here. So David departed from there and escaped. Thus speaks the word of the God, so it's time to go home now and be blessed. This is David, who we know as the greatest king that the people of Israel had ever known. We refer to David, and he's even referred to in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. Is David coloring in the lines, or is he simply scribbling across the coloring page right now with a crayon? I would submit to you that he has grabbed the nearest crayon and is trying to just get through. He doesn't know where would be safe. He doesn't know who would be safe. He's running for his life, literally, and has absolutely no idea where his next meal is coming from or how he can protect himself or even where he's going to spend the next night and get some rest. <sighs> so he thinks, okay, if I, if I go to the, if I go to Nob, I can talk to the priest. I mean, I know I'm not a priest, but I can at least there's the bread there that they might be able to give me. I can, I, let's try that. 
And oh, oh, Goliath, sword. I know that they've got that there. I can, I can get the sword. Yeah, yeah, let's go. And so he goes with this rudimentary plan, and he speaks to the priest, and the priest's like, oh, what's going on? Why are you here? He's like, um, now he doesn't know. David doesn't know if he can trust Ahimelech, right? He's a priest, but is he on Saul's side? Let's make up a story. Let's make up a story. Let's go fast. Okay. Uh, God, the, the Saul has sent me on a special mission. And it was so fast. I didn't even have time to grab clothing or my armor or anything. Food, nothing. Uh, do you have any food? Do, do you still have the sword of Goliath? I, oh, I, I won't say it that way. Do you have a, a sword or a spear or anything? He knew full well that Goliath's sword was there. Well, we got Goliath's. Oh, there's none like it. Give it to me. I'll take it. Well, where are your guys? Oh, it was so fast, I had to tell them to meet me someplace. Does this sound like a man of God? Who's trusting in the Lord with all of his heart, all of his mind, all of his soul, all of his strength? But this is a man after God's own heart. How does he still keep that when he's acting like this? Because let me go back to some of the rules that we talked about with the children in the coloring page thing. Exodus chapter 20. Craig, bring that up, please. Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, before I read that to you, if I had asked you to list off the Ten Commandments, you probably would have said, don't murder don't steal, don't lie, right? But what is the difference between false witness against your neighbor and lie? We're going to be examining that in just a second. Well, let's do that. Craig, there is a definition. It says a lie is information known to be untrue. It's down at the bottom of the list of all those things in the sermon area. Do you see it? It's the, it's in the sermon slides area. There it is. This is a quote by a guy named John B. McDonald. I got it from online. He was doing a series of posts about, is it okay for Christians to lie? A lie, his definition, a lie is information known to be untrue. That's number one. Therefore, false to reality. With the intent of deceiving. Lying, okay, the word lie is a noun. Lying is a, a, a gerund verb. Lying is communicating, disseminating, or advancing a lie. Okay, so this is the working definition that we're going to use today about what is lying. It is knowing that it's not true. Knowing that it is completely false when you compare it to reality. And the words being used are intended to deceive. Knowing all of that, the speaker then is communicating that lie when he lies. Now, was David lying? Using that definition, I would say yes, he was lying. Did David break the eighth, the ninth commandment. The ninth commandment. Craig, go back up to Exodus chapter 20. 
You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Did he break the ninth commandment in this setting with Abimelech? Some are shaking their head no. Some are saying yes. When you are speaking against your neighbor, what are you doing? Slandering them. Maybe, uh, maybe speaking falsely about them. This, this statement has a, a legal courtroom kind of connotation. When you are being asked about such and such, do you speak the truth about such and such? Or are you speaking falsely about such and such with the intent to cause harm? See, again, I'm not trying to play games. I'm just setting a little bit of a groundwork for our discussion here. Was he breaking this commandment when he spoke the words that he did to Abimelech? And I would say it's a gray area. Was he harming Abimelech? Was he intending to deceive Abimelech? Mm, yes, and yet he wasn't trying to harm Abimelech. But he was deceiving Abimelech. So there's this, maybe it's a little white lie. Maybe it's not that big of a deal. It's just a little white lie. It's furthering my cause. It's getting me what I need and where I need to be. So let's just try. Okay. Craig, bring up Leviticus 19.11. This is God speaking through Moses to the people of God. You shall not steal you shall not deal falsely, and you shall not lie to one another. See, go back to, to the Exodus one, Craig. You shall not bear false witness. That's the, that's the ninth commandment. But look at Leviticus. It includes the false stuff, but it also adds do not lie. And these are the words of God. So I would submit to you, if you're going to just use the Bible as your basis, the Ten Commandments don't specifically say don't lie. You've heard the argument about don't kill versus don't murder, right? See, that's killing isn't necessarily breaking the commandment. Murdering is. Because if killing was breaking the commandment, there couldn't have been any holy wars. God could not have commanded the harem of any place. And if you remember throughout all of the Old Testament... God said, go and kill and destroy everything, absolutely everything. That's not murder. That's killing for God's purposes. I don't want to get into that, but understand, the commandment says thou shalt not murder, not thou shalt not kill. The commandment says thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor, not thou shalt not lie. However, you can't get around it because in a separate part of scripture, God said don't bear false witness and don't lie. Let's go one more. Look at Revelation. This is the end of the story for all of us. What does the Bible say? But as for the cowardly and the faithless and the detestable, as for murderers and the sexually immoral and the sorcerers and the idolaters and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Ooh. But I wasn't bearing false witness against anybody. I just didn't tell the truth. Well, you got a place in 
all eternity. It's kind of like not a good place, but it says the liars are going to find their portion in that lake. I didn't write it. It's just written there for all of us to read. Man, oh man, oh man. Why do we have to read the Bible? <laughs> Look at Proverbs chapter 6. Craig, bring that one up for me. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies. Bring that slide up, please, Craig. A false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among brothers. Bring that first slide. We're going to back back and forth, back and forth for a little bit. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil. Next one. False witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among the brothers. Stay right there. A false witness, thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor who breathes out lies. God hates liars. But it's just a white lie. I was in a really bad situation. I didn't know who I could trust. Now, let me throw a wrench into the monkey works. Turn with me, please, to Exodus chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. This is such a cool story. I don't know that you have that, Greg. You probably don't. Exodus chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. I'll read it to you. It's a real fun story. When the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whose name was Shiprah and the other was Puah, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if, a son, if they give birth to a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, you shall let her live. But the midwife, midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before we get there. Verse 20. So God dealt well with those liars. And the people multiplied and grew very strong. <sighs> I thought God hates liars. I thought liars are apportioned a place in hell. I thought it was bearing false witness and lying is bad. But these guys are being dealt well with by God. Let's go to Joshua chapter 2. Real quick, let's just go to Joshua chapter 2. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. I'm still not there. Here we go. Joshua chapter 2. I don't have time this morning to read the entire chapter. Just let me, let me summarize it. There's this prostitute who lives in the wall 
of, Jer of Jericho. The spies are sent by, uh, by Joshua into Jericho to spy out the city. And when they get to Jericho, Rahab the prostitute hides them on the roof of her house. Craig, I'm a little bit high. Can you turn me down just a bit? Joshua, um, thank you. Joshua, uh, sends these spies to Jericho. They come in contact with Rahab. She lives on the wall. She hides them on the roof of her house. When the people, the guard of Jericho, find out that these guys have come into the city to spy out the city, they track them down to, Jer to Rahab's house. And Rahab has hidden them underneath some flax or something like that on the roof of her house. And when they come, they say, where are the spies? And she's like, oh, they already left. They went down the road and went that way. And then when they leave, then she lets them out of their hiding place and she says, please take care of me and my family. Don't, don't let us come to harm when you come and destroy the city of Jericho. And they say, well, if you hang this red stripe in the window and we'll see it, then we will rescue you. But otherwise, if you're doing they're not in the house, then we're all going to kill all of you. Okay, we'll make sure we're here. And she lets them out by the window and they go out the city and they go in the opposite direction of the way the guards went and then they get back to Joshua and everything's good and happy and Rahab becomes one of the matriarchs in the family line of Jesus but she lied and God hates liars alright let's come forward to 1970 something Bob Sugden gets this really cool book called God Smuggler. Have you ever read the book or heard of the book God Smuggler by Brother Andrew? Brother Andrew was a man who lived in Holland during the during the uh, World War II and got he was 12 years old when the Nazis took over the Netherlands. And this man lived under the impression of the Nazi regime. And as a matter of fact, at some point, he becomes part of the resistance against the Nazi regime. And then, finally, the war's over with, and he now gets saved. And he becomes enamored of the Word of God and how important the Word of God is to people's lives. And all of a sudden, God puts this on his heart that he needs to go bring the Word of God through the Iron Curtain into the communist countries in Eastern Europe and in Soviet Union. But he could face death for doing it. So what does he do? He loads up his VW bug, or whatever vehicle he had, hides them in all the wells and hides them underneath everything and leaves a box of Bibles on the middle of the back seat of his vehicle. And he gets to the crossing of the, to, to, into this communist country. And as he's slowly making his way up to be inspected by the inspectors, he's praying, Father, blind the eyes of the people who are going to inspect me. I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. And literally, with Bibles sitting in the open, he's inspected and passed through time and time and time again. He lost count at how many Bibles he brought into communist countries through his career. At one point, they brought in one million printed copies of the Bible in Chinese, airlifting it, dropping it onto the beaches of China in one 24-hour period. And then finally, he became so well-known that he had to drop out of that business because he said, I can't do it anymore because they know my face. But this man was breaking the law 
every day, bringing the word of God to people. He's a liar. I don't have any Bibles in here. Feel free to look. Let me give you one more. This one's even more famous. Corey Ten Boom and her sister Betsy Ten Boom are members of this household in Harlem in, in Netherlands during World War II. And their family is famous for having a hiding place where they hid Jews during World War II. Do you know that it is recorded in Corey Ten Boom's autobiography called The Hiding Place that Corey Ten Boom's family was ordered by the Nazi regime to turn in all radios that they had in their house. Well, they had two. One big one that plugged in and then another transistor one that was littler. And so they hid the big one in their staircase, had it hidden in a special compartment so they could open it up and listen quietly in the evenings and then close it back up. And so then Corey went to the house, I mean, to the, to the, to the, wherever they were collecting them, and she brought the transistor radio that she had and turned it in. And the guy caused her to stumble and said, you live with your father and your sister, do you not? Yes, I do. Your father is Casper? Yes. Your sister is Betsy? Yes. And all three of you only have one radio. There are no other radios in your house? No. You're sure there are no other radios in your house for three people? No, this is the only one we have. All right, fine. And she leaves. And she, she herself, in her autobiography, tells her father when she gets home, she's crying. Dad, I lied. For the first time in my life, I told a lie. And he said, well, God will forgive you. You just have to, I know he'll forgive me. He said, why are you so upset? It was so easy. And you know, Betsy, Betsy refused to lie. Betsy said, if the Nazis come to my house, I'm going to tell them that we have Jews here and I'm going to tell them exactly where they can find them if they ask me. And Corey said, well, then don't answer, don't let me them ask you questions. And Betsy said, well, then you don't let them ask me questions because I'm going to tell the truth. I'm not going to lie. And you shouldn't lie either, Corey. God hates liars. Well, Corey allowed herself to be trained. It's in her autobiography. She was trained for weeks. They would come, her, her nephew and some other people who were in the underground would come into her bedroom at one in the morning or two in the morning and wake her up with all these lights and yelling at her, where are the Jews? We know you have Jews. And she'd go, no, we only have five. And they go, oh, no. The answer is, we don't have Jews. I don't know what you're talking about. She said, okay, let me go back to sleep. We'll try again. They said, no, we'll come back some other time. And night after night for weeks, they trained her so that if she was awakened in the middle of a deep sleep, she wouldn't betray the Jews while she was trying to get her thoughts together. So literally, she was trained to lie coming out of a deep sleep. Why? To protect the innocent lives that were hiding in the wall behind her headboard on her bed. But God hates liars. There is a special place in hell for liars. 
and I'm not being funny. That's the end of my sermon. What do you mean, Pastor? That's the end of your sermon. No. No. Yeah. Yeah. It's between you and God. Because I can point you to many, many, many sources, ancient sources, early Christian sources, who said, thou shalt not commit a lie ever. And others who said, you can ask for forgiveness. And the situation may dictate it. And I can show you, well, I have shown you three different people and I don't have an answer for you. My advice to you is you need to be prepared way before the time comes. Because one of the things, I shared this with somebody just recently, Romans chapter 14 says, some people think offering a sacrifice that's, I mean, eating food that's been sacrificed to an idol is sinful. Some people think, that's good meat, I'm going to enjoy it. Some people think one day is more holy than another. Another person thinks all days are exactly the same. And Paul says in that passage, I believe it's 1423, but don't quote me. Everyone should be fully convinced in their own mind. And those who act without having that confidence are entering into the world of sin. So, using the caution from Corey Tenboom. It's too easy to lie. And it gets easier as time goes on. You need to be fully convinced in your own heart what God expects of you. And the way you do that is you read his word and you pray over it. Because there may come a time in your life in the very near future where you are forced to make a choice. Am I going to speak truth? Or am I going to speak a lie? Let's pray. Jesus, this is not an easy word. This is a hard word. But as I said at the very beginning of this service, when I enter into the dark places, I can count that you're there and that your voice will guide me through the darkness back into the light. Help me, God. Help me, God, and help each one of us as we face these times. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.